Hello again. I'm uh, still Sam Hampson. Or, if this is your first show, I'm Sam Hampson for the first time. This is What's Happening Now, and we start this week by asking a very appropriate question. Of what the heck's been going on? Finally, I should tell the House that, in my opinion, the operation of Standing Order Number 31, which comes the way amendments to the Opposition Day motions are dealt with, reflects an outdated approach... Which- <laughs> Mr Speaker, it descended into farce because of a decision that you made and you alone made to ignore the advice that was given to you by Motion, questioning whether or not Lindsay Hoyle should remain in post. Go on. Yes, I have, Patrick. Uh, I mean, it's been a sad day for British politics, I think, in the chamber today. We've seen uh, seen, um, something I never thought I'd see in the House of Commons. Oh, yeah. Now... I think the best way to sum this up is I got a text this week which said, Hi Sam, I want some politics nerd chat explaining to me about what has happened with the Speaker of the House and who I'm meant to be appalled by. Please and thank you. Now, sadly, I couldn't help because I am a cool dude, not a nerd. Thankfully, I do have a politics nerd on hand who will explain all in a minute. The bit that bothered me, though, was that that's the way this whole thing has played out. A case of, let's be outrageous. This is who to blame. Let's all be appalled. Conveniently, everyone blamed each other. At first, it was the Speaker, who by his own admission made a mistake, who tried to apologise. But the blame game quickly turned on him, with a vote of no confidence that 88 MPs have now signed. It's times like this, we need figures on both sides of the divide to show us the way and unite us through their right ideas, good communication and a sense of self-awareness and humility. A leader, if you will. I wanted to cut taxes. Oh, no. I wanted to cut the size of the administrative state. Yep, that's right. The woman whose spell as Prime Minister was shorter than the time it takes to actually spell the words Prime Minister is back. The woman who didn't cut the administrative state as much as cut the economy and left things in an absolute state was speaking at CPAC, a Conservative conference in the US. And it seems appropriate that at our darkest hour, we are guided by the dimmest of stars. There are too many Conservatives... Oh, I'm listening. ..who have gone along with some of these left-wing ideas. Now, in Britain, we call them chinos. Conservatives in name only. Okay, two things. Firstly, we don't. No one has ever called them that. And I think you've wildly misunderstood what ASOS are offering you. Secondly, this Conservative government has been in power for 14 years. 14! We don't live in some hippy-dippy socialist society. And if we don't live in a right-wing utopia, it's not because people have been campaigning to legalise weed and cancel nuclear weapons. It's because the right-wing ideas have been enacted and communicated badly. We got austerity, we got Brexit, we got a pandemic where the people you chose in charge were Boris Johnson and Matt Hancock. It's people who think, I want to be popular. I don't want to upset people. I don't want to look like a mean person. I want to attend nice dinner parties in London 
or Washington, D.C. OK, stop. You've been thinking about this too much. I want my friends to like me. I don't want to cause trouble. Stop, stop. I beg you. To be clear, this is Liz Truss, who last week tweeted, Excited to be heading to at CPAC in Washington, D.C. to talk about winning the battle for a conservatism. Liz Truss, who can't stop going on about being invited to dinner parties. I never get invited to any London dinner parties, so it's not an issue. It's not an issue for me. Oh, I feel some invitations coming on after that. But the, you know, people don't want to be unpopular. Dinner parties wasn't where the news went next, though. These Islamists have got control of our country, but what I do believe is they've got control of Khan and they've got control of London. And again, this stems in Khan. He's, 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 he's actually given our, given our capital city away to his mates. We've got stolen. Beware, because if you let Labour in through the back door, expect more of this and expect our cities to be taken over by these lunatics. Lee Anderson, a man who actually now might beat Liz Truss in a leadership contest, but only because he is the closest intellectual equivalent we have to an iceberg lettuce. A man who seems to offer very little, apart from whining in a Midlands accent, regular appearances on GB News and a constant flirtation with the Reform Party. My point about Liz and Lee is the same. The problem isn't conservative ideas. The problem is that the only thing that is happening is blame. Blaming the speaker, blaming Islamists, blaming the deep state. Blaming parties who aren't actually in power. These are the faces of a conservative party who have kicked out people like David Gork and Rory Stewart. A party who now has its strongest voices setting up a deluded members club called Popular Conservatism, despite all the evidence. Liz finished her speech like this. But what those people are doing is they are compromising and they are triangulating and they are losing the argument. I will fight, even if it's not popular, even if people say they don't like it, because I know it's right. And OK, sure, one of society's problems may well be people triangulating, but let's talk about losing the argument. You might be a Prime Minister who was kicked out for doing an utterly disastrous job. Or the Cabinet member this week who talks about no-go areas and had to come out days later to say sorry. Or Lee and the people who defend him, like this. Would you regard them as Islamophobic? Well, I've been very clear that what Lee said was wrong, it was unacceptable, and that's why we suspended the wins. But there's a difference between wrong and Islamophobic. Were they Islamophobic? Well, I think the, the most important thing is that the words were wrong. They were ill-judged, they were unacceptable, and that's what I believe, and that's why the whip has been suspended. All this. Well, I, I, Nick, respectfully, I, I think what Lee said was wrong. Yeah. And as a result, of, well, as a result of what he said, he had the the whip removed from him. That's that's but what was it action. specifically that meant the whip had to go? We agree it was wrong, but why was it wrong, Nick? It, it was wrong. What no, no, Lee but why said, was it wrong? What he said was wrong. As a result of what he said, the whip was removed from him. That was robust no, action. No, that was why robust was it action wrong? that was that's taken. What I'm trying to get at, um, it was wrong. Nick, because of what he said and robust no, action was taken so as a result. Well it was, it was, Let's try this a different way. Was it Islamophobic? What he said was wrong and robust but, action was taken no. and the whip was removed within 24 but, hours. Minister, was it Islamophobic? And Nick, it was wrong. Minister, I'm going to, and I, I'm never, I'm normally a very polite man, I'm actually going to effectively put the fact, I'll ask you now, for the third time, I've asked you six times why it was necessary, for the third time, 
Was it Islamophobic? Uh, Nick, it was wrong. I'll have to curtail the interview there. I'm grateful for your time, but enough already. Michael Tomlinson is the Minister of State. My problem is not the Speaker of the House of Commons, who, judging by the words of many signed that motion against him, is a good man who got it wrong once. My problem is a bunch of people who think they are right, despite all the evidence, who say sorry, but can't say why, who seem to keep getting it wrong over and over again. If your problem is threats and violence, fund the police. If your problem is things not working, maybe you should stop going on about cutting the administrative state. And if your problem is that society is broken and everything is terrible, despite you being in power for 14 years, well, maybe you're the problem. One man who is not the problem in my eyes is James O'Malley. James, how's your week? How are things? Watcher, my week was good. Watcher, I need to start saying yeah. watcher to you. It's your parlance. This is my catchphrase. Catchphrase. So, James O'Malley, watcher. Yeah, buy a watcher t-shirt at uh, whatshappening.news. Is that happening yet? <laughs> it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah, good week? Yeah. yeah, no, very good week. I was trying to, as I say, I've been on my quest to do something interesting and exciting to talk about in this opening exchange on the podcast. So this week, I did the most exciting thing possible. Okay. And I went on a local history walk and saw where the old cement factory used to be, which is now a closed-down building. Good Lord, you're unstoppable. Oh, what a it, wild week. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. So it's not a cement factory anymore? No, it is now a building that used to be a cement factory. Oh, how did you contain your, your giddiness, your excitement? True, true, truly, my, my life is, is one of constant wonder. So I, I Honestly, it's, it's amazing that I can keep still for so long to record a podcast. I, it's setting and so exciting. This is probably oh, a good rest for you from that, that full-throttle <laughs> lifestyle you lead. But listen, James, in that little start, I called you a nerd, and I think that's mm. a good thing. Yep. We have had people ask this week, genuinely, ask to explain what happened to the speaker. Why did everyone get upset? Yeah, it's been a bit of a shit show. I think that's a that's a technical term. If you look in if you look in uh, in Hansard, that's that's how it's all sort of described together. So basically, what happened was it was an opposition day debate, and uh, it depends how cynical you are. Do you want to be sincere or do you want to be cynical? Maybe up the dial as you go. Start okay. sincere. So the ostensibly sincere veneer on this was the SNP put forward a motion on their big op- so opposition days are when the opposition parties can basically determine what happens in Parliament, and the SNP put forward this motion calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, which sounds like quite an important thing to do. But then on a more cynical level, arguably, it was basically them trying to fuck with Labour a bit because the way they worded the motion, they, they, they knew that Labour MPs wouldn't necessarily be able to support it, that the Labour leadership would have problems with it because uh, Labour's position is, uh, it will, as it evolved to now, it's now calling for a ceasefire, but also telling Hamas to chill out at the same time. Is that um, also a technical phrase that, they that used? Also, that's also a very technical term, I believe, that that goes back to the Middle East roadmap from the mid-2000s. Okay, chill out. Uh, Everyone everyone should just chill out a bit. Take a chill pill was the phrase (laughs) I think George Bush used at the the famous speech he gave when he launched that initiative. And what happened was in Parliament was, so Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker, was petitioned by uh, Labour, and depending on who you believe, it was (laughs) more or less, oh, it was quite an aggressive uh, petitioning, or maybe not, we don't know who to believe. But he basically allowed a Labour version of the motion to go ahead rather than the SNP. And it was supposed to be the SNP's day to be in charge. They don't get many days to be in charge of what happens in Parliament because they're the third largest party. But the Speaker overruled this, broke this precedent. And so really... Everyone was extremely upset and angry with each other. And the weird thing was, 
everyone was both being a bit of a dick about it, but also everyone sort of had a legitimate point. So the SNP were right to be upset because it was their day, um, but also they were just trying to screw with the Labour Party and politicking and using Gaza as this sort of issue to, to try, and, try and enhance their own position. Labour, they've got the right to be upset because the SNP were just trying to screw with them. But at the same time, they had a point about not wanting to let the SNP motion go through or the whole... The sort of underlying concern was about um, safety concerns. So as you might imagine with such a contentious issue, MPs are getting loads of threats. And so the worry was if Labour don't let their motion go through, if they if they oppose this SNP motion, they could their MPs could uh, receive threats and uh, potentially be on the receiving end of violence. So, so going back to pure sincerity, mm. the, this was about a serious point, right? Gaza mm. and the, the phrasing of, of what Parliament wanted to express was mm. at the heart of it. And then they didn't like, they each didn't like, the other person was hijacking it and making, leaving them open to criticism, to abuse, to violence, threats. Is that right? That's basically the thrust of it. Labour are inherently stuck in this very awkward position of their MPs feel under a lot of pressure to call for a ceasefire. They can't for broader political reasons because Keir Starmer has one eye on when he's Prime Minister in a year's time. He doesn't want to be upsetting the Israeli government too much. And there are legitimate claims about whether there is an argument that Israel should be able to take on Hamas because Hamas did the terrorist attack, which killed a lot of people. So it's a very, <laughs> there's, no, there's no good way to describe this. And I'm sure everyone listening is going to be absolutely furious just by the mere words of me trying to describe the contours this of this feels conflict. like something that we didn't actually want to understand more of because the more you understand the more frustrating it is that mm. it's a really important thing to talk about mm. but a lot of sort of faff and a lot of anger and a lot of, of throwing toys out of prams for a technical expression of sentiment Okay, so this is what annoys me about the whole sort of debate in Parliament, in that ultimately this was Parliament sort of tearing itself apart, getting involved in this enormous shit show, again, technical term, and the, the Speaker of the House nearly having to uh, resign, he still might resign because of it, and basically it being this big, enormous, contentious mess over ultimately the theory is what the British government or the British Parliament over what the British Parliament thinks about the conflict between Israel and Hamas. And I don't know about you, but last time I checked, we don't have much of a say about what happens between Israel and Hamas. So we can, it's, it's ultimately about putting up a little banner saying, this is what we think, but was anyone ever going to listen to us it, in the first place? It is really important to stand for something, right? It's really important. But my hesitation here is, so we've got the speaker being shouted at, we've got the stuff with Lee Anderson, we've got Liz Truss mm. going to America and saying this is what we should do. This, What actually is happening now? What are we doing for us? What is What policies are going on? What? How is the world changing via what MPs are doing? Yeah, it, it seems, I think, I, my, my grand theory of politics is that politicians have realised that posting is quite fun. So it's, it, it's almost like politics is reoriented around what you're going to post on Twitter or your social media saying, I feel very angry and passionate about this, rather than things that actually matter. Because if MPs had instead focused on relieving the cost of living crisis or doing all these sorts of boring things, they're, they're quite important and they can actually make a difference there. British MPs can vote on things that affect the British government and tell the British government to do things to help British people. I dare say our influence over what Israel and Hamas are doing, slightly less so. James, listen, you're the politics expert here. Mm. Um, Forget Israel Palestine for a minute, really important. Yep. But what is it that MPs are working on right now that's going to change our lives? Oh, I'll have, oh, I think I'll have to get back to you on that. Uh, I'm not right. Does anyone know? If anyone knows, write, please write in. Let us know. Let us know.
Okay, James, mm. uh, on a lighter note, what's your favourite story of the week? So my favourite story this week, it feels like Christmas has come early, as almost literally as that can happen, because, you know, every Christmas we get these amazing stories about these really crappy Christmas winter wonderlands yeah. every year. There's stories of, like, disappointed children who go to a muddy field to see just a crappy shed, half-heartedly decorated, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, a donkey with fake antlers on. So, yeah. would you believe, it's not Christmas, it's February, but we've got another one. I don't believe it. So in Glasgow, there's a place called the Willy Wonka Experience. And it's basically, it, look up the pictures if you listen to this, because it's incredible. So we will put them in the newsletter. The, the, it's sold as this amazing sort of Willy Wonka themed experience. You go there and it's like being in this chocolate factory and you can meet the Umpa and this sort of thing. I would love that. I know, yeah, and it sounds, if you're a child, that would be incredible, going to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. I'm a 34-year-old man and I've seen these pictures and I want to go. It sounds so good. But the the reality is, it basically, I'm looking at the pictures now and I'm trying to describe it. It's basically just like an empty hall with a few benches in it. And there's someone wearing a green wig because that's how you define what an Oompa Loompa is. And there's basically not much set decoration or anything like that. The amazing thing about this for me is that the promo pictures were AI generated, right? Mm. So that's taken deception <laughs> to a new level and using the technology available now. I, I even read, and I, I, I must confess, I can't verify this myself, but I saw someone claiming that even the sort of the, the scripts that the actors involved were performing was written by AI as well. Oh, wow. Um, so, a full commitment, right? Um, well, a trip to Glasgow coming up. Is it still going? It's still available? I suspect that the estate of Roald Dahl will be... I can't believe they would licence their names as something so shoddy, and I'm sure this everything. This must surely be officially licensed. And there's no way so. this is going to be shut down imminently. James, my favourite story of the week, a mm. bit different. Did you hear the story of the Crooked House? This is a pub that got knocked down, isn't it? This is the pub. I, yeah, it, it was destroyed last year after a suspected arson attack. Mm. Very sad. It was notoriously a very wonky house, a pub at an angle. South Staffordshire Council have served an enforcement notice on the owners of that pub to rebuild it, which I imagine <laughs> is going to be quite a tricky thing to do for a wonky pub. Mm. The the arson attack, there were uh, rumours we're not going to repeat on the podcast of who did it, why, did, why they did it, but that is going to be a difficult quest to undertake. Yeah, this is justice, I think, in a sense, because obviously it was knocked down without uh, all the correct uh, permissions to do so. And this was viewed as a historic building. And now they're being forced to to build it back up again. It's, it's very similar to a few years ago here in London, there was a pub in Kilburn, which had the same sort of treatment in that uh, developers took it on. They wanted to turn it into something else. The building was knocked down uh, without the permissions. And so the council came back and said, yeah, we've got to rebuild the pub as it was. And that seems fair enough to me. I'm a big Yimby. I think we should be knocking things down and building new, bigger things in their place. But on the same time, I think you've got to do things properly. And it's quite nice to see something rise from the ashes like this. I saw someone, a very funny tweet, somebody saying that they should put a documentary crew following the rebuild with the owners of the pub who would be forced to keep a straight face the whole time of going, <laughs> we want this to happen and the arson attack was nothing to do with us. <laughs> James, one last mm. story for this week. A political story? A cultural okay. story, a social media story. Labour have been reported to be interested in training and developing male influencers to combat Andrew Tate misogyny and influence young boys. <laughs> um, are you up for a job? 
I dare say I'm not the sort of alpha male who would appeal to young people in terms of sort of a, a mentorship figure. But I do see the point of this. I, there was this horrifying TikTok I saw uh, a while back now, and it was basically one, it was a viral clip, a kid waking up from an operation, and I think he was like, I don't know what, it was some sort of surgery, and his mum was filming him, and he was like, oh, am I going to have big muscles, mum? And then he's, this is like a six-year-old kid, and he goes, like Andrew Tate. And I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with our sick culture? It's a big thing. So it's cool. It's, it's a big... Andrew Tate is... is there's a big following and kids are aware of him. Mm. Uh, Labour's plan apparently is to send regional improvement teams into schools to train staff on introducing the peer-to-peer mentoring programme. So very present in the schools. Tackling misogyny, very, really valid. I'm a bit sceptical that doing it through schools is going to be... Is it going to be someone wearing a backwards baseball cap going, hey kids, you know what isn't cool? Misogyny. I want to see Keir Starmer do that. Right. <laughs> I, do you know what? If that's the election video, I'd admire that attempt at being young and relevant and hip. Look, it's a bigger intervention from government than that we've had, but maybe it's a thing. Yeah, I think. I mean, it is genuinely something worth worrying about because Andrew Tate is a terrible, terrible person. And but I think the person who's best positioned to fight back against his sort of influence is. Have you seen Arnold Schwarzenegger's these amazing videos he does occasionally? Yeah, I think he's the perfect figure for this because he's he's obviously a big, tough, muscly yeah, alpha but, man who can. You I know, mean, but we also talked about aging last week. Do you know mm. how many of Sort of 14-year-old boys will be as aware of Aaron Schwarzenegger as we are. Like, mm. that's... How long ago was Arnie's last big film? 20 years? 30 years? I doubt any of those yeah. kids nowadays have seen twins. So <laughs> maybe he's not the person. I'm telling you, James, uh, it's an, an opportunity for you. <laughs> I'll get I'll get training. I'll get, I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get on the weight machine. So, James, a little bit more of a, a technical episode this week, a bit more of a, a purely political one. Uh, mm. Did you enjoy that? Enjoys a strange word when we're talking about sort of Parliament combusting under its own hubris. It's... Yeah, I thought that would that be something you were into. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to give you a week you'd enjoy, James. It was that or trains. So. The problem is it does actually matter what happens in Parliament. So if it is tearing itself apart over something it can't really influence and there's loads of acrimony and stuff, it that's a distraction because ultimately that's going to then influence a what? politicians are focused on, what Whitehall is focused on, what the media is focused on. And so if we actually want productive things to happen, we need politicians to focus on... They need to do better. That's my big take. They should do better. Do better. That's the message of the week. I've asked you this before. I'll ask you again. Mm. When's the next election? The next election, we do not know yet. Uh, it's going to have to be before January. Uh, the rumours are... It's looking like probably late October. I suspect it's going to be mid-December just because that's when I'm going on holiday. So inevitably, <laughs> okay. that's when they're going to call the election for. Uh, you are a, a big influence on British politics and I, I, I believe that they would have planned it just for you out of the country. That's the thing. That Rishi knows my takes are going to be too hot. He's going to think he needs to, he needs to avoid them. Who's the biggest threat to my <laughs> campaign? James O'Malley. OK, James, thank you very much this week. We'll be back next week. Join me a guest. A good guest and a good topic. Yeah, we're talking about the American election. So after all this depressing stuff about the British political system this week, I'm sure that next week will be a cheery one. Lewis gave us the advice last week to be more like America. So we went, OK, take your advice. So that's it. Next week, we're doing the US election. What's happening now with great guest James O'Malley. Thank you very much for this week. And thank you to our producer, Adrian Bradley. See you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye bye.